Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We cover it all from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With a surge in sorghum acres anticipated in the Texas High Plains, it's not just the economics that are looking good. There are other things working in sorghum's favor right now. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The governor's State of the State address and the expansion of broadband as an emergency item for the Texas legislature. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. What's next for the Commodity Credit Corporation? It could include a carbon bank program. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The coronavirus pandemic has prompted some changes to the state's largest stock shows and rodeos. Jessica Domel has more. On Wednesday, Chris Bowman, the executive director of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, announced the majority of its events have been canceled. The junior livestock and horse shows will be held in March as private events. The Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo has been canceled for the year. The San Antonio Stock Show is expected to start February 11th. Digital rodeo tickets or approved credentials are required to enter the grounds. There will be no fairgrounds, attractions, or carnival this year. Earlier this week, the Bear County judge sent a letter to event organizers asking them to consider postponing the event. Rodeo Austin is set to start the first week of March. Only the Junior Livestock Show events, Ag Mechanics competitions, Ultimate Scramble Championship, and the Youth Auction will be held. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. South Texas farmers are starting to roll the planters as February gets underway. Charles Ring grows cotton, corn, and sorghum north of Corpus Christi. He says it's nice to have good prices going into a growing season, but high prices aren't everything. Good prices, high prices don't do anything if I can't produce something to sell. And we're going in, we've, we've got some recent rains, but there's nothing that'll carry us into the summer. We need May and April, June rains, you know, to carry us through. Rain says warm temperatures are also giving farmers the itch to get started planting. South Texas, we got up to 80 degrees the other day. It's planting time. I'll have neighbors planting corn here just in a few days. And then we'll start around the 15th. But it's the moisture situation that has rain most worried as the 2021 crop season gets underway. We may see a substantial increase in sorghum acres in the Texas High Plains this year. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Strong prices are what gets cited most often as the reason to expect an increase in sorghum acres in the Texas High Plains this year. But beyond the market situation, there are other positive things to talk about for sorghum, such as the great progress made in sugarcane aphid control. You heard Dr. Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff describe for us in yesterday's report. 
As we look at other recent developments, Dr. Bean says seed companies have released a lot of new grain sorghum hybrids over the past two or three years that farmers should try out. I think for the most part they'll be pleased with them because they do seem to have some advantages of just having especially better post-flower drought tolerance as well as in some cases just better standability, just better plant health and hopefully that's going to end up being better yields. Another plus for sorghum? Increased options for fighting weeds. As companies begin making available new sorghum hybrids that can work with herbicides that provide over-the-top grass control. The companies have developed through non-GMO methods hybrids that are tolerant to these particular herbicides. And so that's going to allow us to use those for the first time in sorghum. So that's great because we just haven't had many options really in sorghum compared to other crops. Also in sorghum's favor, Dr. Bean says studies indicate growing it can improve the results farmers get with other crops. There's been some good work showing the advantage of sorghum in rotation with other crops. So something we certainly know if you're rotating with cotton, usually those cotton yields will do better. And surprisingly to me, I've seen some data the last couple of years that strongly suggest that even the corn yields are higher falling sorghum. So just putting grain sorghum in that rotation can help you the next year on that rotation crop. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Governor Greg Abbott delivered his State of the State address on Monday, and he included issues important to Texas farmers and ranchers. Tom Nicoletti reviews the governor's address. My guest today from Austin is Charlie Leal. He is State Legislative Director for the Texas Farm Bureau. And Charlie, welcome back to our program as uh, we recap Governor Greg Abbott's uh, recent State of the State uh, address uh, to Texans. And let's uh, first uh, begin on uh, what he had to say about uh, the challenges of 2020 and how the state uh, uh, did during the last year. Governor Abbott delivered his uh, State of the State address on Monday evening, February 1st, which the governor does at the beginning of every legislative session. What made this speech different, a little different, is that the governor gave his remarks away from the Capitol, uh, likely due to COVID protocols, but it also allowed him to take his message directly to the voters on TV. And the governor gave a report on how Texas fared during the pandemic and and how the Texas economy is making a strong comeback and and how daily life is is returning to somewhat of a a normal pace. And basically, uh, what was his summation? He said, you know, we we are faring very well. Texas has fared very well, and we saw that in the comptroller's estimates. Last summer, we saw estimates that we would be in a $5 billion shortfall. This session here recently, uh, the the comptroller gave his updated forecast, and we're at about a billion dollar shortfall. Still not great, but not as bad as as they were initially thinking. The, The Texas economy has bounced back and is bouncing back very well. The governor addressed his agenda for this legislative session. And uh, one issue that certainly is uh, important uh, to uh, rural Texas uh, farmers and ranchers is he uh, announced that uh, he is making uh, the expansion of broadband an emergency item for the legislature this session. Yes. As we all know, uh, broadband and rural connectivity has, has been an issue for us for many years. It's essential to ag producers. It's essential to the health care and education we receive in rural Texas. And the governor making it an emergency item allows the legislature to begin work on this immediately. And already there have been four bills filed on the topic of broadband expansion. Okay, what else can you add about uh, the address and uh, its importance uh, as uh, the state moves forward in 2021 and, and of course, the legislature meeting uh, there in Austin? 
the governor honored essential workers who, who helped Texas through the challenges of 2020, and he specifically included farmers and ranchers among the heroes who he said have risen to the challenges that we, we faced. Those comments again today from uh, Texas Farm Bureau's state legislative director, Charlie Leal, from the state capitol. Tom Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Commodity Credit Corporation could see a new use as a carbon bank program. Gary Joyner has more. The Biden administration is now looking at the Commodity Credit Corporation through its own policy lens. That's not unusual. It happens with each administration. The CCC is a fund in the U.S. Department of Agriculture that borrows from the U.S. Treasury. It dates back to the 1930s. It must be replenished through the congressional appropriation process. The fund currently has a $30 billion borrowing limit. There is flexibility in how the money can be spent. The Trump administration tapped the CCC for its trade mitigation payments, and it was used as part of the coronavirus food assistance program to provide financial relief to farmers and ranchers impacted by the pandemic. Reports indicate the Biden administration is considering the fund to target climate change, support restaurants, and launch other programs without waiting for Congress. One program approach could be a carbon bank. The bank would pay farmers for planting crops or adopting farming practices that keep carbon in the soil or plant material. Is there enough flexibility in the CCC to pursue a carbon bank? That remains to be seen. The program could be another tool for U.S. agriculture if structured correctly. Texas farmers await what's next for the Commodity Credit Corporation. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. President Biden's nominee for Agriculture Secretary has some of the same goals as the American Farm Bureau Federation. Michael Clements reports from Washington. Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall spoke with Agriculture Secretary-designate Tom Vilsack ahead of his confirmation hearing this week. Duvall says they spoke about a variety of issues, including the freezing of the COVID-19 relief package for farmers. He said the review of the COVID relief would not take long at all. We also talked about the labor issue that we've faced on the farm for decades now needs reform. He agreed that it is time to get that done. You can't talk about this new administration without talking about their approach on climate. So I expressed to him that we had done a lot of work in the last two years to talk about voluntary and market-based climate policies and how we do that to help farmers adapt to continuing to be part of the solution of our climate problems. Duvall says they also discussed the importance of having enough funding for the Commodity Credit Corporation. Being secretary in the past for eight years, he understands the value of the CCC, and I expressed to him that we were very interested in being able to increase that to make sure he had enough borrowing authority to fill the needs of the administration and the farmers. And he also committed to the farm programs and how important they are to farmers. Duvall adds it's important that Farm Bureau and the administration work together to advance the priorities of agriculture. To accomplish anything, you got to work together. Mr. Bilsack's been there before. We already have a working relationship with him, and he's going to pick up the reins at USDA and hit the ground running, and we look forward to helping him solve a lot of the big issues that are facing agriculture. Michael Clements, Washington. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking for your help. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. And BVD is a serious disease in cattle that can cause long-term effects. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. BVD is a serious disease in cattle that can cause long-term effects and it can affect other species. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how. BVD not only affects cattle, but can also affect other ruminant species as well, such as sheep, goats, bison, llamas, alpacas, and white-tailed deer. Although pigs are not a ruminant, they can also be infected. The virus is transmitted by nose-to-nose contact and reproductively. Dr. Meredith Jones indicates at Drovers.com that the most important aspect of transmission in cattle is the cow to her fetus during pregnancy, and the effect on the fetus depends on the time of exposure during pregnancy. While infection in the first six months can cause abortion or deformed calves, the major concern is the fetuses that are infected between 45 and 125 days of gestation, as these can become persistently infected. During this 45 to 125 day period, the fetus's immune system is not effective and the calf's body does not recognize the virus as different from itself and so the calf remains infected for life. Many of these calves become ill after birth but some appear perfectly healthy and these healthy calves are the problem as they can shed the virus in nasal secretions or feces and can be a source of infection for the rest of the herd. The virus can cause diarrhea, pneumonia, decreased appetite and ulcers in the mouth of the calf and can make the calf susceptible to other infections as it decreases their immunity. If you have unexpected illnesses with miscarriages and low pregnancy rates, testing for BVD is a good idea. Testing all calves and cows that do not have a calf, as well as bulls and replacement heifers, is also a good idea. Pregnant cows should be isolated and tested after delivery and their calves tested at birth, as a persistently infected cow will always give birth to a persistently infected calf. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking for your help to save bats. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking Texans to be on the lookout for a disease that kills bats. It is called white nose syndrome. It is a fungal disease that affects hibernating bats in the winter. It causes a white fungal growth on the bat's ears, nose, and wings. The disease causes bats to run out of fat in January and February while they're hibernating. This causes them to leave their roosts to find food. They usually don't survive. Last winter, white nose syndrome was found in 18 counties in central Texas. The disease is thought to be spread through contact with other bats or contact with contaminated surfaces. The fungus can remain in a bat hibernation site long after the bats leave their roosts in the spring, increasing the likelihood that other bats who use that roost will become infected. The disease is not a risk to humans. TPWD is asking for the public's help in understanding how white nose syndrome is affecting vulnerable bat populations. If you see a dead bat, report them by emailing the location and photos if you can to wns at tpwd.texas.gov. That is wns for white nose syndrome at tpwd.texas.gov. TPWD biologists say people should not handle live bats 
or bat carcasses with bare hands. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has set the dates for the annual abandoned crab trap removal efforts. From February 19th through the 28th, coastal waters will be closed to crabbing with wire mesh traps so volunteers can help pick up the traps that have been left in the bays. Details are available on the TPWD website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was an up and down day for the cattle futures market on Friday, but we saw the cotton market give back a lot of the big gains we had the day before. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Friday was another one of those up and down days for the cattle market. We saw prices trade on both sides of unchanged. We ended up closing with a mixed market for live cattle, mostly lower for feeder cattle. February live cattle up 27 cents, 116.72. The April up two, 123.77. June live cattle down 22 cents at 119.97. Feeder cattle lower, March down a dollar 22, 138.27. April feeders down 47 at 142.20. May feeder cattle down 30, 144.77. Cash-fed cattle market picked up just a bit at the end of the week. Friday afternoon, we were showing a few sales here in the south at 114. That's a dollar higher than we saw last week, and just a tad higher than the cattle we saw sell in the online fed cattle exchange on Wednesday and Thursday. Those cattle brought 113.75. However, it looks like most of the feedlots were holding out, trying to get higher money, still get another dollar, maybe 115. That's what they had most of the cattle priced at throughout the week. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up 26 cents, 234.51. Select up a dollar three, 221.47. Now let's check the auction barns with Larry Marble. When you hear auctioneer Troy sound off on a Friday, it's time to talk to Doug Bass, Cattleman's Brenham. They sell them every Friday, but first, Doug, tell us how you sold them last Friday. Had good sale, Mr. Larry. Uh, had good market. Ended up with 1,295 head of cattle. Cow market looked a little better. Cow market was definitely a little steady to better. Good. Let's walk the pins. On your weigh-in cows, your thinner lower yielding cows bring 20 to 42. Better high yielding cows bring 49 to 66. Weigh-in bulls, thinner lower yielding bulls bring 64 to 75. Better bulls bring 77 to 89 and a half. Paired cattle had a pairs. Pairs bring anywhere from 600 to 1150. Bred cows bring anywhere from 650 to 1175. One to two weight roping kids. Steers bring 142 to 204. Heifers bring 135. To 190. Two to three weight steers bring 150 to 197. Heifers bring 125 to 182. Three to four weight steers bring 145 to two dollars. Heifers bring 118 to 180. Four to five weight steers bring 120 to 192. Heifers bring 105 to 157. Five to six weight steers bring 110 to 166. Heifers bring 98 to 155. Six to seven weight steers bring a dollar to a dollar fifty-five. Heifers bring 90 to 130. Seven to eight weight steers bring 85 to 133. Heifers bring 78 to 119. And your 800 to a thousand pound steers and bull yearners bring 75 to 110. And your heifer 
range 65 to a dollar. Doug, what do you know for today's sale? I do have one gentleman that's got five two-year-old Brangus bulls he raised. He's bringing to town. He's got all the paperwork done on them. Uh, they're commercial bulls out of registered bulls and, and commercial set of cows. So if anybody needs a good little herd bull, we'll have a few of them there. Other than that, it just looks like we ought to have a pretty good run again. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you at Cattleman's Brenham for the Friday sale. Yes, sir. Mr. Day, y'all call me on my cell phone, which is 979-877-4454, or call us at the office, which is 979-836-3621. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble, and you've been listening to Cattleman's Brenham. Doug Bass and I walk the pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs were mixed on Friday, February down a nickel, 70.97. April hogs up a dollar at 80.30. Class 3 milk futures finishing higher. February milk up 11 cents, 15.65 a hundredweight. March milk up 68 at 16.69. The cotton markets all pull back on Friday. Now, if you'll remember on Thursday, we had a massive run up in the market, over 300 points. On the nearby contracts, great export demand from China, lower world production estimates, all contributing to these higher prices. However, we may have seen some profit-taking come into the market to wrap up the week on Friday and pull prices back down to earth just a bit. March cotton down 154 points, 82.74. The May down 147, 84.02. New crop December managed to stay above 80 cents. It was down 43, closing at 80.64 cents. Kansas City and Chicago wheat both wrapping up the week higher on Friday. We're seeing some weather uncertainty come into the market right now. We have some very frigid temperatures headed our way and across much of the United States. And so the question becomes, what effect do those very cold temperatures have on the wheat crop? July Kansas City wheat up seven and three quarters, closing at 631 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up four at 632 a bushel. The corn market was in somewhat of a sideways pattern throughout the week. We continued that pattern on Friday. March corn down one and a half, 548 and a half. September corn up a half, 478 and a quarter. In the energy markets, March natural gas down seven cents, 285. March crude oil up 73 cents, 56.96 a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 80 points at 31,134. The Nasdaq up 70, 13,848. The S&P 500 up 13 at 3,885. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.